0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice.
1: The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories
2: when it comes to the investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Loony Hour, episode twenty-four. As always, joined by the three amigos here. We got Rich Diaz, Acorn Macro Research, the Tom Brady of Macro. We've got Keith Dicker in his not Patagucci jacket today of Ice Cap Asset Management. Uh, I just want to make an announcement before we get into the show here. So we talked about it last last couple of weeks. Uh, so there will be a live in-person event, Loony Hour, in Vancouver this may may the 12th uh in the evening we're still working on the venue details probably be your local mcdonald's uh but we will announce that we'll be we ultimately uh looking at selling tickets for this i think we are just going to uh you know tough these tough economic times we've got to cover the inflation costs so we'll get back to you on that we're looking probably a couple hundred people um yeah, should be a good night out. So May 12th, book that in your calendars. We will have more info coming out. And as again, before we get into this episode, all we ask is that this content is produced entirely for free, uh, largely actually on Keith's wallet. Uh, But all we ask is that you share this with one person. Let's continue to grow the Looney Hour community. And let's get into the show. We've got a fairly busy week in... Canadian politics, Canadian housing uh, in particular. And then we'll kind of get on to the larger, more macro stuff, which the the other two gentlemen here will touch on. But why don't we open this up with, I think, probably the biggest news in Canada anyways, this is a Canadian podcast, is uh, the the JT-Justin Trudeau pact or alliance with uh, NDP's Jagmeet Singh. Uh, so they are sort of holding hands in unison together, singing Kumbaya. Um, and now they've announced, I think the first announcement was, you know, free dental care for everybody. Everybody's super excited about that. Um, but Keith, I don't know if you want to open up this, uh, this uh, I don't know, the sandwich here and uh, give us your
2: thoughts. Well, speaking of sandwiches, here's a, a boomer story right off the right off the bat. So, so uh, today our kids here—they uh, have half a day at school because there's parent-teacher meetings later Uh-oh. on today. So, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm from my home office here, and my uh, Mrs. Icecap she made sandwiches for my my growing boy who eats like a, a beast all the time. And so, I see two sandwiches in the fridge, and I ate one. Then I realized, I said, oh, man, I bet you one of those You know, was for Junior. So I, uh, I text Mrs. Icecap, and I say, hey, were both of those sandwiches You know, for, for Ian? She said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're both for him. And I was like, oh, okay. So I immediately text him, and I said, by the way, I ate one of your sandwiches. And so Mrs. Icecap never listens to this show, so I don't mind saying it. But I told, I told my son, by the way, don't tell Mama that I ate one of your sandwiches. You're getting eviction notice, you little shit.
0: <laughs> I know, I'm
2: in trouble tonight. Okay, but I think I did think you started the conversation about about a sandwich. That's why. I, well, I uh, mean, free sandwiches for everyone under this new pack. So, here we go. Okay, so first of all, here's the the positive. Um, I think you know people think that you know you know everyone leans left or right. You know, f- for me, I do lean more right. However. You know, I'm more like a libertarian. I, I think both sides can do equally great and equally bad things all the time. My theory is just just leave us alone, let us let us do our stuff. So, first of all, though, from the left perspective with this, so from the liberals and NDP, it's actually a fantastic decision they made. They they guarantee they're gonna stay in power until what, twenty five, I think now? Or twenty five. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, they just locked themselves in and, you know, obviously something will come up, they'll have a fight about something and then they'll lose some more horse trading along the way. But from that side uh, of the fence, um, you know, I think politically what, what they did was, was smart. From my side of the fence, which is the money economical side... Uh, This is a disaster, guys. This is not good for the country. Now, people will say, uh, yeah, you know, you're going to get this from this new spending and in that new spending. Um, One thing is positive. I now know, again, as as an investment manager, I know which way the Canadian finances are are going to move over the next number of years. Uh, You'll see continued budget spending. I doubt it's going to come down. If it comes down, it, it's not because they've done it on purpose. They got lucky with oil going up and the rest of the economy staying flat. I mean, that, that's what it is. I highly suspect our taxes are going to go up. And if financial conditions in Canada, um, if for some reason they tighten, for whatever reason it happens, all of a sudden Canada goes from looking very good on a lot of metrics in G7 to very poorly uh, very quickly. So that's my quick take on it before we get into more details.
0: Uh, yeah, let's move that to Rich because, as just Keith's point, there Canada is one of the most indebted countries in the G20. So, a lot of those debt metrics or debt service abilities, obviously, predicated on very low interest rates. So, thus uh, another predicament for Tiff MacLeman Co. and and Scotia's nine rate hikes. Uh, but Rich, take us. Uh, Provide your thoughts. This just uh, let's try to keep this relatively calm. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you have free reign.
1: Take the mic. You know, I just want to just uh, take a moment of to to uh, remember Jack Layton, who would be very proud that finally we have a an NDP Prime Minister. And I really like Jack Layton, despite the fact that we didn't necessarily agree eye to eye on economics and finance stuff. I always thought he was like a really, really stand up guy. I always loved listening to him talk. And I thought he was full of integrity and honor, something that I think that the current prime minister lacks. <laughs> but I think it's uh, I think I can't really add too much more than what Keith said. I think deficit spending, I think is just I think that's absolutely baked in the cake now. I think um, anti-energy policies. I think they're going to be doubled down on. Um, I've been, you know, beating the drum as loudly as I possibly could for nuclear power, having a much more realistic kind of view on energy um, and exploiting our natural resources for the good and to ultimately decarbonize um, our country and the world. I think that all that stuff's going to be pushed back, not forward what people might think. I think it's actually going to be pushed back. I think inflation, any view that you had that inflation was going to be transitory, I think that's just, I I mean, now it's just absolutely going to be economic policy. Um, The Bank of Canada released their preliminary um, document on the changes they made to the mandate um, just a couple of days ago. Um, I think on the 26th is the official letter or maybe it's next month, whatever, it's coming out. I think that we're gonna see more of this dual mandate, higher inflation for longer. I think that that's just really straightforward. I think housing is definitely gonna get less affordable, not affordable. We'll get into more of that later. Um, and uh, yeah, I think in general, I, um, it's gonna be one of those situations that a lot of, um, you know, be careful what you wish for. I think a lot of left wing people are gonna actually, um, they're gonna get some kind of superficial things in the short run and really taken in the teeth in the long run um i've been wrong before i'll be wrong again but i i think i got this one pretty well well pegged so i don't know steve if you have a
0: well yeah i mean i think like i think it's important to sort of you know make this clear that obviously i think everyone in the show here tends to lean slightly to the right but i think that's also because we're finance and economic people where when you kind of understand the systems and and how they kind of work like you start to realize that like although like a lot of these left leaning policies are like sort of disguised to like help and be good for the greater people. Like they actually end up hurting. Um, And I think what we're seeing now is like, you know, hurting in terms of like inflation, like who does that impact the most? Like it's it's things like that. Um, I think like, I mean, at the end of the day, neither of these, you know, the, the Jagmeet Trudeau pact, like neither of this suggests to me or that you're looking at austerity. I mean, we're just going to yeah. get more deficit spending. Um, I think that this is ominous to Ray Dalio when he talks about sort of global uh, monetary policy three, which is like you kind of like monetary. I think we've explained this in the show before, right? Monetary policy one is you raise interest rates, you lower interest rates, and that kind of helps you get out of these economic funks uh, and economic. Er, sorry. Uh, number two is basically quantitative easing, which we've kind of, Run through that gamut, and when that when you start getting zero, you get rates stuck at zero. You can't really do a whole lot more QE. Uh, number three is basically uh, governments take over central bank balance sheets, uh, and those those defi- that deficit spending basically gets financed via the central bank. It, it ends up predominantly on their balance sheet. I mean, if you look at Japan, that's clearly what's been going on uh, for a decade plus. So uh, yeah, I mean, despite all the talk about Rising rates and austerity and governments pulling back because inflation, I just don't see outside of this short to medium term blip, I think like structurally here moving forward that the era of
2: deficit spending, you know, spending for the greater good. One more thing that, you know, that we haven't touched on, but this is something Rich talks about quite a bit. So I'll tee this one up for you, Rich. Uh, Now, with with this pact put together with with the Liberals and the NDPs, it's, again, you always think about what is their policy, what is their policy, you know, can it change, and now that they're together, uh, it is, we always look at probabilities with everything, there's never a zero, 100% probability, but the probability of Canada continuing along the line towards green energy, uh, climate change policies and and taxes so forth, it, it just went up a few more notches, so, um, Rich, what kind of impact would this have on the energy sector? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, just before we get into that, um, I promise I will touch on that. But I just want to say, like Steve mentioned, like, you know, sort of, sort of describing sort of our view and our background. I think one thing that, you know, a lot of people get to know me is that I really, really care about the working class and I care about. Immigrants, because my parents are working class immigrants, and the reason I push so hard against a lot of these policies is because time after time, I think on the tin, they say that they're going to help. You know, they're always sort of um, they're sold as policies that will help these people. At this, this sector of the society, and time and time again, we see that that's just demonstrably untrue. And the most obvious one of that is housing and the housing policy in this country. um And oh, I mean, and so so, let's. I want. I'll just get back to the energy thing, and I'll leave. So I'll leave the housing for Steve. That's that's your wheelhouse, we house Steve. But I just wanted to sort of give an in, it, listeners an insight into sort of my background. I think that a lot of times, left wing policies are not at all left wing, <laughs> and I think that that's so. We should always be very very careful. But anyway, so back to the energy thing, I think um, two things for me strike me as energy. I think we'll be more regressive. Um, and I think that um, in the sense it'll be more aggressive in the sense that it'll be a, um, there'll be more pushback on the structural changes we need to move away from fossil fuels. So what does that mean to me? Two things. One, we need to mine way more materials in order to build enough batteries to to change all of the internal combustion engine cars into electric vehicles and mining just continuously gets pushed back on. Um, And then the other thing is, I think nuclear power is really the only way we, we drastically change our carbon footprint in this world. And again, we have a environment minister and a natural resources minister who's been on record repeatedly saying that he doesn't think that's part of the solution. As far as the energy companies themselves, I think they're going to make shitloads of money because oil's not going anywhere and we produce lots of oil. And so there you go. But anyway, that's that's my call on that.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Keith, do you have any sort of final inputs there? But I was just going to say, uh, at, least, at least on my own front here, because I know that there's probably going to be some maybe left wing people to listen to the show. I full honesty here and maybe some regrets I have actually between federally and provincially, I have actually voted for all three parties. So, uh, again, maybe some past regrets there. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, looking at, looking at some of these policies, you're basically just going to have lo- bigger government. Uh, so more centralized government, sort of this more authoritative figure that kind of commands more of your life. I think that ultimately leads to less productivity, because you're not talking about sort of free open business. And, uh, you know, I think all you have to do in Canada and see see how that's kind of progressed here. I mean, if you look at real, I mean, Rich, you know, uh, real GDP per capita, uh, you know. It, it continues it peaked, to fall. Yeah, it continues to fall. It peaked, you know. The growth, four, sorry. The growth, excuse me, the growth continues to fall. Yeah. Like basically, in, in, in other words, like to, in simpler terms, it basically means like your standard of living actually is getting, I don't know if it's a, worse, but it's not getting better. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. I mean, you know, you, you chatted about, uh, you know, sort of their energy policies. I think like, if I look at like what they're talking about for housing, for example, like the two big ones, they have already come out, like Jagmeet's already tweeting about it is like, we're going to go after REITs. So residential, uh, or sorry, real estate investment trust REITs in Canada, Uh, because we need to get rid of the financialization and housing. I was like, well, that has nothing to do with like housing and housing affordability. In fact, REITs, uh, publicly traded companies essentially, are the only ones in Canada pretty much that are building ground up, ground up from the ground up residential uh, rental housing. They're providing purpose-built rental housing. They're constructing, they're investing capital and uh, investing in, rental buildings so by taxing them more I don't really see how that's going to make things better and then they're also talking about taxing uh, uh, corporate windfalls at at the banks like as if the commercial big five banks which really ultimately run the country aren't going to ultimately feed those costs through to the end user is is kind of ignorant Uh, but Keith I don't know if you have any sort of final thoughts on that before we drift over to the housing market
2: yeah I mean so if you think about this um, most government policies they're, they're done for the benefit of one group but they always do by penalizing another side there's always two sides to every coin and you know maybe the solution is not to penalize one group you know that's so that's the, that's what you'll see with housing you'll see the energy sector and the financial sector and so forth like government they're always they always have this baton and they're going to hit one group you know, penalize one group and then, you know, hopefully that will help another. And and that that's not going to work. So uh, I don't know where they go with it. But for example, I just received my property tax bill for the, uh, we do a six month cycle here where I am and it's gone up again. Like we pay a high, we pay about 1% almost for property value of the, of the taxes here where I am. That's a big chunk, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you guys. what well, are you guys, Steve? At like three percent, two percent? Oh
0: God, I'm gonna me started here. So this is like the the biggest debate in Vancouver. Is like our 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 property taxes are insanely
2: low here. Um, so what I which, suggest is, is, it's gonna. I mean, obviously, property taxes are not. It's not a federal tax. You know, it's it's you know municipal and stuff like that. But it's you're gonna get stealth tax increases everywhere now. And at the same time, when inflation is rising, it's really going to reduce, um, you know, really disposable income that people have available to spend. Like we're we're in a real tough situation, guys. I know that's where we're headed. I was going to ask you,
1: go ahead, ahead, Rich. I was going to say what these folks seem to not understand is the only way to emancipate working class people and people who have like basically just disadvantaged is investment and productivity. And, and, right. and the idea that more involvement from bureaucrats who frankly are just simply not that smart and are not tuned in to the real problems that either companies have or smaller jurisdictions have, I just philosophically, I just don't get that. And the last point mm. I'll make just is that they entrench incumbents in their position of power in a way that I just find really antithesis to everything that they say they, they fight for, which is why it's so sad for me. Anyway, sorry, Steve. Oh, do you, I was going to say, do you want to hear the
0: best example of that? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, obviously everyone knows Canada is currently dealing with 30 year highs in inflation. It's the hot button topic. So what is the, uh, Quebec government, for example, uh, just announced that Quebec adults who earn $100,000 or less will receive a one-time payment this year of $500 to offset the impact of inflation.
1: Hello? To be fair, that's a conservative party that's doing that, by the way. Okay, well, that so is the just cons- stupid. It's just a there. stupid policy so, by a conservative party. Exactly.
0: So blue, red, green, whatever your party <laughs> is, these guys are all
2: incompetent.
0: Um, I don't see how dropping more money out of the sky is going to settle or it's like pouring gasoline on the inflation fire. I mean, now I know California was out talking about uh, you know, the governor there was talking about how he's going to start mailing checks for, for how many cars you have uh, to offset the gas price inflation. So yeah, this is kind of where we're going. It's basically like more stimulus checks to fight
1: to the wrong people because if you take the bus you don't get a check like if you're if you work at mcdonald's or you're like anyways it's just it makes yeah sense.
0: so i mean that's where we're going and again i mean now you know pivoting gears to the housing front sort of the last topic on this but is like okay if everybody thinks like more government's gonna help i can tell you like they're the biggest hindrance to the housing market these are these guys have basically gotten the way of everything i mean in terms of housing supply uh you know we've talked about in canada but uh getting through all the red tape of various government bodies does not allow us to produce adequate housing supply uh for starters and so i don't know how creating bigger government is going to help with that but let's let's talk as let's drift away from this subject because i think everyone's probably sick and tired of hearing about politics um what i do want to touch on is what's happening in the bond market um i know i'm sure the two of you guys are watching it pretty closely. But I think for, from my perspective, I'm watching it very closely because I'm having conversations with every major bank uh, in Canada over the last 7 to 10 days. And several of those large Canadian banks are have been raising their five-year fixed mortgages not once in the last week, not twice, but like I'm talking three, four times in the past seven days. So there's been this massive rip in the Canada five-year bond And that has resulted in every, every five-year mortgage now at the Canadian banks is now north of three and a half percent. So if you're a really good customer, you might be able to finagle that down a little bit, but if you're looking for a five-year fixed mortgage, everyone now is at like three, six, three, seven, people are saying, oh my gosh, this continues. We'll be at 4% in the next four weeks. Uh, And just as a reminder, I think the last time rates were this high was in 2018. We hit about 3.6% and we had housing sales basically in in parts of Canada drop to 20 year lows. We had prices coming off. So I don't think the housing market is at all prepared for 4% mortgages. And I don't know, are we going to get there? I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts, at least what you're looking at uh, from the bond market perspective. I think this, I think personally, this move seems, grossly overdone. Maybe this is a catch up. I mean, obviously Rich will probably tell us that at the end of the day, we're still looking at, you know, real negative interest rates. Um, But it's a huge move. And uh, I think the Looney hour guys, uh, we're probably getting, I I know there's people dunking on me saying, Hey, see, you said rates couldn't go up and, and we're seeing this tightening. So I'd love for you guys to kind of chime in. Do
2: You want to go first, Rich? Do you want me to go? No, you go for it. First of all, do you have new glasses? Have you, I've never M- seen you before with glasses M- on. Me? I wear yeah. glasses every week. <laughs> <The same laughs> like an old, glass. It's like an old married couple, right? Is that a boomer I just joke? Is that a boomer yeah, joke? <laughs> maybe without even trying. Um, okay, guys. So with, with the uh, I think it's so the question you say like at four percent, has this is this doing harm or stuff like that. My my first question I toss out, what happens if rates are at eight percent? Right, it it's it crushes things out there. So I'm not suggesting that rates are going to go from four to eight. So don't run out this week and you know refinance and all that stuff. However, my point is that so if you look in, in the U.S. for example, because they have some really good data. So sort of in in the U.S. they have thirty-year uh, mortgages. So back in 2020, the thirty-year was at two point eight percent for a mortgage a fixed rate. Now it's at four and a half percent. So if you had a uh, say a $750,000 mortgage, your, your monthly payment has gone up by about 800 bucks now. Mm. Like that's that's I, a lot of money, that, that's a lot of money. So the great equalizer in the housing market for Canada, it is it is interest rates. And we've talked about that for, for quite some time now. And um, so we have had a shift up, but it has not been a violent shift, has not been a surge. I continue to uh, place a high probability that there will be an, an external shock. So what I mean a shock from outside of, of Canada that can really cause interest rates around the world, the long-term bond rates to just surge higher. So so for example, back in I think it was 12, 2012 or, or fourteen, I get I think it was twenty twelve, you know, rates in Italy went from four to six to eight to twelve basically like within within months. Like that kind of event can happen very quickly. So it's so right now this move in in mortgage rates, you know, for Canadians, uh, you might think that's aggressive. I'm telling you, it's it's getting back to a level that might be more reasonable. However, be prepared. Like something bad can happen out in the system here that can cause rates to double very quickly. And you need to understand as well, because you made a great comment, Steve, about uh, you know banks are raising rates. So mortgage rates compared to what uh, the federal government is borrowing at, I, I would call that credit spread. That's the way, that's the way you want to look at it. We could see a situation where, say, uh, Canadian federal government bond yields do not rise as much, or they can come down again, um, but, banks may not follow suit on that. So credit spreads can remain high. So I, I think the good old days that people got used to the last couple of years that really you know, ignited the surge of the housing market, I, I don't think that's going to come back. I think those good old days are done.
0: Yeah, um, I was chatting I, I with... I was chatting with one of the banks there in Canada. Uh, I will keep the, the bank's name out of it, but uh, it was one of the big five. And uh, so right now they're telling me their cost, their cost of funding, their cost of funding on a five-year mortgage is 3.6% right now. And they're like, they're, they're, five-year fixed mortgage. They're basically, they've been under right now. They're actually underwriting like a loss essentially. So they're, they're trying to put, they're trying to, they're going to be pushing rates up uh, from where they are now, but like, they basically don't want to be the first movers, right. They're kind of waiting for one of the other big five to move first. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, they're all kind of watching each other right now. Um, and just quickly before we jump over to Rich's commentary here, uh, Keith, you kind of outlined the U S numbers there. So I'll just give you guys in Canada, sort of a, an idea of where we're at in the housing market. Um, so if you consider basically that during the onset of the pandemic, Rates fell to all-time lows. So the national home prices at the start of the pandemic, nationally, were at about well, five hundred and eighty thousand dollars for your typical home, mortgage rates at one point five percent. So today, the national home prices have increased from five eighty to eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars, like a fifty percent move, and rates have gone from one and a half to basically three and a half. Um, so that if you were to mortgage that entire amount, which obviously you can't, but like for all intents and purposes, um, let's just assume that you you were going to, I mean, an $870,000 mortgage in Vancouver and Toronto is honestly probably on the smaller side. So like, let's call it what it is. Um, your payment would have gone from $2,300 a month to $3,500 a month. So you have a, you're talking about a $1,200 difference, $1,200 per month on a 25-year amortization. Assuming um, not only the rate of increase in the home prices, um, but uh, yeah, so anyways, it's it's a huge move, and, and I am seeing in the housing market right now that it is slowing uh, rather
1: considerably. Uh, Rich, the only thing I wanted to say was um, we talked about a couple of weeks about um, what the interest rate expectations were at the front end of the curve, and how in many ways we've already actually seen a tightening that's sort of generated and been facilitated by the market before the fed did anything or the bank of canada did anything or the boe did anything and i we mentioned three of those ways and i'm just going to remind the listeners of the of the of the three of them one was the oil prices rising rapidly is one way that you can sort of tighten quote unquote tighten which is by um sort of um you know siphoning consumption away from your normal discretionary spending into, let's say, higher gasoline prices, et cetera. Another way that you can sort of like again, fill, uh, in inverted commas tighten is by um, decreasing valuations on equities. So we've seen that for sure, right? Uh, price earnings ratios, P ratios have gone from you know high 20s in some cases and in some sectors to you know, mid teens for other sectors and countries. So that a uh, reduction in valuation is, is another form of sort of sort of tightening. And the final one we've seen, which is that it happened again without any move from the Federal Reserve, really. I mean, they did they did guide towards that, but is them is the change in in mortgage rates or interest rates that is a function of that just track other bond yields. And so you know, when we talk about how much, what is expected in, in the market with respect to hikes, are we going to get to six or eight or whatever? Um, you know, I, I think, I guess I'm contradicting myself and I'm giving a pat on the back to Keith, but we might never get there because there's loads of different sort of um, financial market instruments and other um, either commodities or um, sort of, um, you know, I would say. behavior economic type things that have already done a lot of tightening to the economy before we even before we've even raised by 25 basis points um but something i thought that was really interesting and and you know whether it's the 30-year mortgage rate in the u.s going at 4.5 or the canadian fixed rate mortgage going up i mean you've already seen quite a bit of it and so we might You know, and so to Keith's credit, like we might, you know, we might not even get off the mat before we have to like fall back down again, you know? And so that's, that's something I thought was kind of important
2: to remember. So just, just to add, I mean, Rich brought up a really good point then, um, and I'll just word it a little bit better than Rich. Um, (laughs) The global economy is a very complicated, sophisticated system. And sometimes you don't need people pulling the levers to, to try to influence it or manipulate it, some people might say. Um, but as, as an example, you're gonna the, the market will help to self-correct everything. So higher oil prices is creating inflation, but it takes money away from people spending elsewhere and, and so forth. I just want to sort of bring this back to the bond market because you know because we we know we're pretty negative on the bond market. We we I think we've been correct with that call. Uh, with, with outright rates moving as well as with credit spreads, because it doesn't really get a lot of attention. But anyone look at the return on their bond portfolios um, like over the last eight or nine months, like it hasn't been that good. And by the way, they're bad. Int- it's town, yeah, down, and, the global bond index is down 10%, just for the listeners. And the like, for example, for us, like we, we've had a holding in that's, that's actually benefit from the bond market declining. So you get an inverse performance with what's happening with, with the U.S. tenure. So things like that you can do. Uh, but the point I wanted to make is that another big, very large picture, and this is, this is supportive of the bond market. I think it is troughing now, truthfully. It might take a while, but it might, this is for the government bond rates, by the way, not, not credit spreads. Uh, there is still a global glut of savings all the time. So like every week when you're, or two weeks when you get paid, maybe 5% of it goes to your RSP or redefined contribution pension plan or or something like that. It's, it's happening all over the world all the time. So with all that savings that's out there and the way pension funds are structured and target date funds, life cycle funds and all that, there's always money flowing into the bond market all the time. So eventually it will sort of self-correct again. One interesting movement that's happening right now is here we are March March 24th here. So recording this. And um, you know, equities are starting to rally a little bit right now. And you know, why is that happening? Is is a lot of short covering taking place. Uh we're going into the end of, of Q1. So uh you don't believe it a lot. Managers like to play games, make sure they look invested in a certain way at, at quarter end. Um We don't do that, but uh, that is happening out there. So you get a lot of money now flowing back into equities and and everything. And pension funds will have to rebalance at at quarter end as well. So you're you're likely seeing an opportunity here again where the the, the market can, you know, help everything sort of, you know, self-correct and we move on with it. I hope that added a bit of to Rich's point, but it's important from our desk what we look at what's happening right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, is there anything else in particular, Rich, that you've, you, that, you know, caught your eye here over the last sort of seven yeah. to 10 days?
1: What I are, think, what are, you, um, like, what are you looking at? I just, I'm really enjoying the energy continues to outperform, but I won't beat that horse anymore than it needs to be. Um, I also think it's really fun. Um, one thing that's really interesting for me is just from an economic, sorry, sorry, from a market standpoint is that banks have actually started to underperform. So that's something I've been really on since the summer. Because you know, I'm, I'm of the view that interest rates are going to keep rising. And normally, that means that banks outperform along with them. But something that we've sort of seen over the last two or three weeks, I know this is maybe a bit a little technical, but I think something that I've seen, it's just sort of catching my eye and sort of changing, making me take pause on my previous view on banks, is that uh, bank stocks have started to, to stop, that outperformance has absolutely stopped. That doesn't mean that banks in the US aren't super healthy and that lending is going to continue growing. We'll talk about the mortgage market in Canada and how, how much more, um, uh, how much money is being sort of issued by these banks. But it is interesting to me that um, from, an, from a market perspective that, that you're seeing that change in that sector. One of the things I really like to do and I've learned over the years is to really sort of trust those indicators, whether it's relative performance, whether it's something called the relative strength indicator, um, which is like the degree to which the speed and, um, and direction that you might get in a particular, um, index, um, co-movements, you know, when, you know, for another one, that's really struck me, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but that's really fascinating is the yen continues to weaken. And yet the, um, Japanese stock market has also fallen. And I can tell you the you know, 15 years ago, up till about 2015 that was a lockstep. you could set your watch to it if the yen weakened then the japanese equity market strengthened and now you're seeing the opposite of that happening and that's sort of a red flag for me um i mean i think there's lots of good stuff that's happening too um which we can talk about later but just those are the sort of the market things that i think are really kind of things that
2: i've really caught my eye. it's it's funny rich because obviously you have my screen is above the, uh, the, the monitor here um, but the screen i have in front of me during this whole call it's been yen oh yeah so japanese yen it's it could go to zero like that's, <laughs> come on come on it's gonna go to that's zero that's pretty dramatic maybe one or two <laughs> but uh, but it's it's depreciating dramatically and it it doesn't get any attention at all uh, usually with if yen is is weakening it was always perceived to be a positive because the Yen was considered to be a safe haven currency. Um, and then if, if it's weakening, it means money is going in like the Euro, the Euro Yen cross, for example, is it's a very popular one to look at. But if Yen is weak, it means the rest of the world is growing strongly, whatever. But uh, there's there some pretty good uh, chart lines if, if you're into that kind of stuff. But uh, Yen could be, you know, the market, you know, when everyone's been waiting for 40 years now for this thing to fall out of bed. And it's it's slowly like dripping lower and lower. And as you said, Rich, like normally if you get a, a very very weak equity market, you get the offset in the equity market. I don't know if I said that right. If you get a weak currency market, you get the offset in, in the equity market. Right. And uh, that's not happening here. So the two like, markets that I know people are not watching them, but they should be. It, one is Japanese yen. And the other one is, is the 10 year treasury you know, for different reasons. Like they're both like really low. Like one thing we like to look at are sentiment indicators. It just really like you know, do, do people really love or really hate something. And um, like, if, if everybody loves a specific market, then it means like, in theory, there, there's no one else left to love it. So there yeah. is not a lot of room for it to go higher. And, and the opposite is true. So we use a lot of, um, we get some sentiment indicators. And the sentiment indicators for the yen as well as the, the 10-year treasury are almost at single digits. Oil, for example. So, for example, the 10-year is around 12. There's a DSI number we look at. And it goes from 0 to 100. The number for oil right now is about 94. Like it's, so a lot of contrarian investors around right in the world, they're going actually like long the 10-year, short oil. It sounds pretty brave to do that, but, you know, that's when you do those kinds of trades out there.
1: So let me just, so I think, let me just add a little bit to, we've gotten some comments that we should try to do a little bit better job of explaining sort of all the, the terminology or why we think the way we think and that kind of stuff. And I think that fundamentally, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, weak form, semi-strong form of efficient market hypotheses and all these kinds of like kind of grandiose ideas, but the reality I think more just to explain it to like a, in more layman's terms is that there's information in the price, right? The, the price is, there is information in the price and that's why we t- tend to look at these indicators, the speed, direction, how stretched they are, or the speed over a certain amount of time, et cetera. And I think that's, that's why um, I know Keith tends to look at these kinds of things, whether it's DSI or the RSI or a bunch of other acronyms that don't mean anything to anybody, but Um, it's just in, in general, the price is a conduit for information, um, how people feel about the market today, how people feel the expectations of the future and how those expectations change. And so that's why we take a look at that.
0: I mean, it's a good point. I mean, Stan Drunkmiller talks about all the time. That's, you know, he looks, he basically just looks for the market to, to kind of tell him what's going on. He doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need a big bank economist to tell him what's happening or he doesn't need, you know, the fed to tell him what's happening. He's, he just looks at the market and he says, this, this is what's happening. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I mean, um, from my perspective, I'm, I always look at it just from the housing market in Canada. Cause that's like our largest, you know, entity in, in, in Canada and in terms of the economic drivers. And it's, yeah, you can just see that the sentiment has changed uh, significantly from this sort of fear of missing out to maybe I should wait you know, maybe I should not over lever because rates are going up, inflation's going up, my gas bill's going up. And, uh, so yeah, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's trailing off. So it's kind of interesting. Are you, are you, how you guys, is there any update uh, for our Canadian listeners here on the, uh, on the loonie? uh, not the Looney hour, but the actual Canadian dollar, how's that trading? I don't
2: know if any of you guys have been watching that, but yeah, I watch Looney all the time. Uh, you know, it, Looney is, um, you know, it, it's holding up pretty well with with the U.S. dollar. You know, so most Canadians think about currency how it compares to the U.S. dollar, no matter where you are in the world. Is what is it relative to the dollar? And a Canadian dollar, it, it's done it's done okay against the U.S. dollar, and a lot of that is because the you know oil markets are doing pretty well. That just takes foreign capital coming in. But on a cross rate basis, so as comparing, say, Canadian dollar to euro, yen those currencies. Canadian dollar has been really strong. Like it, even though we talk about maybe some of the things that are, you know, at risk here in Canada, right now Canadian dollar is doing well in the eyes of of foreign investors. So it's not falling out of bed yet. Uh, Our expectation, as you know, like we we can see some dark days coming up in, in the financial market world. And sometimes that's not nice to hear, you, you know, you're not trying to sell fear or euphoria, because it goes both ways, just being ob- objective here. But if, if we do get a, some kind of a major financial crisis, something breaking in, in the system, then the Canadian dollar, it, it will absolutely fall from where it is now. So that, that's the real quick version on, on CAD from our side. Rich?
1: The long version is that we're a petrocurrency, and I understand that people have pushed back on this. I've gotten say, you know, it's not true anymore, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I submit that the strength of the U.S. dollar has obfuscated the degree to which our Canadian dollar is tied to that commodity, and how as that commodity becomes bid up higher and higher and higher. I understand there's a futures curve and it's not as expensive three years out as it is today, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe my, I don't believe I, I think I have enough evidence to support the view that the Canadian dollar is holding up as well as it has, because our largest export is energy products and energy products are, you know, at an 11, 12, 13 year high or whatever. And, um, and uh, yeah it's definitely a good time to go to Europe in case you're planning on a summer vacation because i would have i think that the euro versus the canadian dollar will continue Probably on the same trajectory. So um, you yeah, know, book those hotels now and lock that in. <laughs> so let's t- but also though, it.
2: like peso and like Mexican peso real. Like yeah, they're, they're strong this, as well, right? Yeah, like but energy. that's commodity,
1: but that's but that's that's yeah. the commodity it's space. Oil. Right? The, yeah, oil. Lab. It's, it's not let's, yeah. let's jump
2: into you. Euro- I mean, you just mentioned Europe. I want to talk a little bit about the, what the ECB came out with in this week. And by the way, as a reminder, the countdown is on the Bank of Canada is coming out in two weeks. April thirteenth. April thirteenth, and by the way, uh, this ah. week the Fed introduced in 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 their uh, chatter what they're doing. That hey, fifty basis points is on the table for the Americans, and they're up next on May the fourth. So I that's... call
0: I call my I call my banker. I says I need to refinance
2: before April thirteenth, please. So you know <laughs> we haven't talked about it yet, but I think you might soon start to see chatter that Bank of Bank of Canada could actually go fifty basis points because you know they do want to stay. Uh,
0: Right, Wait, Keith, before you jump into the euro, I think I need to clarify this because everyone's <laughs> like 50 basis points. You guys said you know rates are only going up three or four times this year. I think it's important to understand that, like I think we give too much credit to central banks knowing the economy or 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 doing the right thing. Like, I think these guys naively believe that the economy. Can withstand, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten rate hikes. I just think like these guys will keep going and keep saying what they have to do until something breaks. And I think basically our view is that something will break much sooner uh, than than we're being led to believe. Uh, but Keith, yeah, get, get get back to the euro there.
2: Well, but thank you, I didn't say that's what they're going to do. So you're going to start to hear chatter. And I don't mean loony hour chatter that we think they're gonna do 50. You're you're gonna start seeing in, in the financial media that hey, you know what, they might go 50. So again, prepare for that over, over the next two weeks. But is is that not go.
0: is that not just all part of like this, like I mean, let's be honest, as you know, like a lot of the questions that journalists lob to the central bank are kind of like pre-scripted, pre-canned. They kind of talk about, hey, here's kind of how we want you guys to frame it. Is this not all a part of like the moral suasion of like signaling it's their job. Sig- their job is signaling to, to, to job yeah. bone the, 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 the rates higher, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, I literally have like clients like looking for homes that like have very little to no understanding of central banks and interest rates and how that even works. And they're like, I was reading in the globe and mail that, you know, six or seven or eight rate hikes are coming. So that should start to slow. And I was like, you guys have no
2: idea what you're talking about. Uh, so with again now, what I the reason I introduced this concept was because the the Federal Reserve down in the US, they floated the idea. And what you do, you float the idea, you see what the reaction is to it. Because as again, the Americans are on May the fourth, so they have a few weeks coming up. And if you really want to do 50 basis points and you don't want to surprise the market. You get you gradually introduce the idea. You get everyone talking about it for weeks and weeks. And then all of a sudden it's it's not a big deal when, when you do it. So that, that's what would happen. Uh, for the Canadians, I don't know. Again, I'm just saying that now that the Fed has introduced the idea, it does give the Bank of Canada cover if they want to start floating the idea as well. As of right now, I don't think they will. That's that's not where they're that's not what they're showing. But again, we're a couple of weeks away. And you know, that's, that's what we'll start seeing coming out. Uh, ECB, do you want to move to the ECB, please? Or do you want to keep hitting that horse? The Bank no, you love it, you love the
0: ECB, that's your favorite. Uh, yeah, I know you're following those guys closely, so tell us what's going on over there. I just saw um, that preface here because it kind of ties into the earlier part of our show. Uh, was it, was it Germany or which part of the eurozone was it where they're removing all the uh taxes on their gasoline? Germany. Sure. So apparently, it's supposed to reduce German gas prices by thirty cents. And we're liter, about
1: to and we're about to add a carbon tax, As which April of 1. course <laughs> will definitely affect. Anyways, just. Yeah, anyways, that's so. That's interesting
2: Q's. for them them to do it because I mean they obviously have the you know the the fiscal capacity to do it. If anyone does, it's it's Germany. So, uh, but it, can you just imagine if you're living near the border? You know, of any of the countries with <laughs> Germany, <laughs> your gas is getting empty. It is, you know, zoom over. Uh, okay, but back with, with the ECB. This Again, this is a, a longer term announcement that came out. It, it's not happening in 22, but um, the European Central Bank, they're now officially investigating or adding climate risk scores for banks uh, through the banks. They call it the capital bar. So basically every bank, based upon what they're holding in their investment portfolio, um, their, their regulatory capital and stuff like that, no, you're, you're assigned a risk score. And if you're deemed to be a very risky bank, you need to put more money aside you know, for a rainy day. Or if you're deemed to be more conservative, then you put, put less aside. What the ECB is now going to start studying is what, they're going to assign a basically a climate risk score to the banks. And if your score is high, you have to set aside more regulatory capital to offset that. Banks are levered entities. so most banks are levered anywhere from 10 to 30 times, depending on what you're looking at. And one of the easiest ways for banks to make money is not the spread on like borrowing and then lending it out. Like it's pretty small. It's pretty tiny. So you have to leverage that up. That's how a bank will make money. Plus, with all the transaction fees, of course. But the real way a real bank makes money is by they they buy money from you as your GIC, or they borrow it, and then they sell it to somebody else. You know, as, as a mortgage or a loan or something. Um, if you're not able to lever up as much as the other bank, it puts you at a disadvantage. And that's where this is going. So, um, you know, I encourage everyone to have a read because the Canadian banks are absolutely going to go in that direction. Anyone who's listening or, you know, people who are working in or they own companies or firms that are involved in like the industrial sector, the energy sector, anything like that, uh, it's more than likely what will happen. You will have to pay more for funding costs than somebody who isn't. Because if, if a bank is gonna lend to you, cause you know, rich loves the dirty oil and everything and Steve is into wind and solar and all that Vancouver stuff they have out there. Uh, you know, st- uh, for everything else being equal, Steve will pay less for his loan than Rich will, even though Rich might have better financials, which we know he would of course, but that, that's that's the way the ECB is going. And it's also the way that um, you know, I suspect Canada hey, will as you well know, uh, because we have this new coalition in, in Ottawa.
0: Well, yeah, you know, actually um, even, I don't know if many people know this, even on the residential side or even commercial. So if you're looking for a real estate loan uh, from CMHC, our government agency there, uh, they, they actually rate your building. So based on this energy efficiency, et cetera, you get like more points. They'll give you better terms on your, real estate financing, depending on the
2: energy efficiency and the upgrades that you do to your building. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's loosely okay. happening now. And of course, you know, this is eventually going to tie into, uh, the central bank digital currency as well. That's coming up fast.
0: People ask us to add, to, to, to add to that central bank digital currency. I don't know if does anyone want to,
2: I, I think we need to put a more of a deeper dive, um, as opposed towards at at the end of, of the episode. I mean, we've talked about it before loosely. It is, again, it's, it's absolutely coming. And to be, um, so the two things. One, it, it removes the risk of commercial, it removes the financial risk to the systemic financial risk for the country of commercial banks experiencing stress. Because you would have your money on deposit at the central bank instead of, you know, one of the big five and a half banks out there. Uh, But the other thing it's going to do, if if all your money is tied up in the central bank, digital currency, no reals to go. And this sounds extreme, but this is what they're going to be able to do. Um, You know, they are going to be able to control how much you're able to, what percentage of your budget you can allocate to something. So to be very extreme, let's just say they determine, wow, Rich is eating way too much beef and driving his car way too much, you know, he goes to fill up the tank again and he can't buy, He can't pay for the gas or, or buy the beef. But that's, you know, that's the extremes where this could go. And it's not, I know that sounds pretty uh, aggressive to think that way, but once governments get control of of, of your money and they're able to, I mean, just they just for example, you know, with, with the truckers protest in Ottawa, they very quickly went in and if you donated 25, 50 bucks to these guys, I mean, you got your bank accounts frozen and stuff. So that's just a little taste. If, if you're on the wrong side of you know, the big thought machine, that's where they can go with it. But that, That's where we're headed.
1: Yeah. I mean- can, I touch, can I touch on the ECB thing? Um, I think one of the things that there's a bunch of things that are absolutely disgusting with that. Number one is that um, it's not going to work because people need oil and oil consumption is not going anywhere. Um, So what it inevitably will do is just uh, increase the cost of capital. And ultimately, this will end up in higher inflation. Either that, or it'll just transfer the production of oil to countries that don't care about the environment. Um, And we've seen in Ukraine uh, what inevitably that may or may not lead to. The other thing that I think is really important is when people complain about The EU and the ECB, um, a lot of their arguments is how undemocratic it is. Now, I think that that's a lot of the time that can be overstated, I think, um, and I think it's just frankly unfounded. And in many cases, you could actually make the case that the European Commission and the European Union um, has a more representative uh, parliament, but that's a conversation for a different day for the ecb however which is the european central bank which is not voted on by anybody and has absolutely zero mandates to do that it i think is absolutely a pure and unadulterated bastardization of any kind of democratic oversight whatsoever um and i think that that's uh, and i know i know and i mean that i mean for the canadian government to do it i'd say okay it's a little bit wonky, but fine. But for the ECB to do it, I think it's um, there's been absolutely no legislation passed in the EU to, to sanction this. It was a, almost a unilateral, like, because it would never fly. And it's a unilateral decision by basically, um, ultimately, a couple of people who run this very, very important central bank. And I think it's I mean, it's an outrage. I think it would be stupid if people voted for it, but at least I could stomach that. The fact that it's happening and people did not vote for it, I think is very, very important. And I think it just strikes to sort of a sneaking and slow creep towards more authoritarianism. And because everybody who thinks climate change is important, we tend to not care as much about it. But I just, yeah, it's, it makes me really sad. As you can tell, it just, it's, it's just, it's just a shame, really sad sad way to end the show Oh,
0: sorry <laughs> it's not supposed to be that sad uh but on a energys more positive, up.
1: energy's up today
0: <laughs> and a more positive note uh something to look forward to again may 12th uh for the live event and uh so yeah we'll have more information on that but as, as always we'll we'll wrap it up there um yeah lots of, let's lots lots to talk about these days in the in the macro world it feels like uh there's something new happen every week um and so yeah we want to ask that you continue to support the the channel the community here all we ask that you share with at least one person continue to grow this this space and uh we'll see you next week